I'm gonna take one, baby. Take One Podcast, we back in the building. It's Michael Davis. I'm with my brother Carlton Weathers B, with my sister, sister Sarah Lockridge Steckle Lord, and then the lovely host. You know, she's no longer Christmas because she's been stealed. Her name is Adriana <laughs> Steele. Take One, we back in the building. Hey, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you pulled back that, uh, that hashtag from the wedding. That's uh-huh. hilarious. <laughs> All right, y'all. Yes, so we are continuing in our um, Black History Month celebration, and I'm just so happy that we're getting to look forward on this episode. So we have some amazing people in our church body that you may not know are first or first of a few. Um, And so just wanted to talk to them, bring them in, and talk about what their stories are and how they got to where they are. So um, the first question is just general. Whoever wants to start can start. But just can you give a little background of where you're from and how you got to where you are? You can go ahead and say, like, what you do for a living. All right. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Sarah lackridge Sheckle. I am the co-founder and CEO of The Collective Blueprint. Um, I am originally from Detroit, Michigan. That's where I grew up. Um, just in terms of a little bit about my story. So I was actually born in New York. I lived there till I was eight. Um, my family moved to Detroit because um, my parents were going through a, basically a, a financial bankruptcy. They were struggling, and um, there was like kind of a lot of turmoil at that time. And we moved to Detroit when I was eight years old to live with my grandparents, and that's where I grew up. Um, and so in terms of how I got to where I am, I say that because a lot of it was shaped by seeing Detroit in the 1990s and seeing racial disparities, seeing... Um, differences in education and really wondering as a child, like, why does this look the way it looks? Mm-hmm. You know, why is it that um, my city and my neighborhood was predominantly black and had, you know, limited resources, limited access to things, and I could drive 10 minutes outside of the city and, and see night and day? And so that really spurred my interest and passion for social justice. Mm. Um, and, you know, went to college, majored in sociology, worked for nonprofits, really trying to create social justice and social change. And then just got to the point where I really wanted to see young adults have access to opportunity and have access to some of the things that I had had access to in college. And so created the Collective Blueprint to build pathways uh, to careers for young adults here in our city. So super excited that I get to do the work that I do. Hello, everyone. Carlton Weatherby. Let me first say thank you for having me at the table. And I'm already inspired by hearing a little bit of my sister's story. I'm the vice president and general manager of the spine and biologics business at Medtronic which is based here in Memphis, but a part of our broader enterprise is based out of Minneapolis, where I was for the last 10 years before we moved here. I'm originally from Tacoma, Washington, a little bit south of Seattle, so I try not to rep Seattle. (laughs) Not as many people know about Tacoma, but wear Tacoma on my sleeve. My my father is from there, born and raised. My mother is from South Central Los Angeles. They met in college, um, first in their families to go to college, then followed each other to graduate school there in Seattle and raised us there in Tacoma. Uh, my parents are both in the healthcare profession. My dad's a family practice physician. My mother's a nurse practitioner. And so that kind of created my affinity towards medicine and healthcare. Mm-hmm. Plan all along was to be a doctor. Yeah. Went off to Stanford for undergrad, pre-med, biology. <laughs> Planned on going into medical school, but got beat up by organic chemistry while also trying to, <laughs> trying to play basketball. And so um, finished it through, but at the end yeah. of it knew that you know clinical medicine was not gonna be my path. Mm. And so it was, was fortunate enough to find a path in healthcare through business. And so I played a number of business roles, initially still doing sales at Stanford Hospital, 
moved into strategy business development roles, went off to business school, also in Boston at Harvard, and learned a lot about what the kind of the good, the bad, and, and the ugly of, mm-hmm. of how to build and grow businesses, focus on early stage technologies. And so then went to Medtronic, where I am now, and I've done some form of strategy, business development, mergers, acquisitions, sales, and now most recently, journal management. And so having a blast, learning a lot, and, and adding a little bit of value along the way. Mm. Well, uh, Michael Davis, I've been on here before. Um, it's a privilege to be back. Uh, I serve as the chief collaborative officer for the denomination that we're in at Downtown Church, which is the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And the way that I got to where I am right now is is, is, is really the Lord. I thought I was going to the NFL. I thought that that was my dream and my passion as to where, um, where I thought uh, I would have the most success. But a lot of what shaped me and molded me was uh, I am the first to, in my family, immediate family, to graduate from college and even pursue a uh, master's degree. And so uh, also being able to know that the sacrifices that my mother had to make um, and even my, my, my pops that they, they had to make for us to get to where they are, working class, hard people, just makes it um, even sweeter for me to work hard at what I do and dedicate myself to my family and to, uh, to the efforts of, of doing the work that I do, which I believe is uh, an impactful way. I've been a pastor and still a pastor, and, and the big thing is that the soul of people and caring for God's people is a passion. Um, but doing it from the, the level where I'm doing it at now is to build other leaders, um, using some of the, st- the strategic initiatives that we have as a whole to move us forward, to continue to do the work and the efforts of, the, um, of gospel ministry. Yeah, this is it. Um, and did you say, like, you're a first? Did you explain the first black man? Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> so I, I'm in, in my role. Um, I'm one of the three leaders of our uh, denomination, and I'm the first black man in, in, our, in our role. At the EPC. Uh, so at the EPC. Yeah. And uh, I've, been the, I've been the first the last few years and some things, and so um, that, that uh, I don't, I always give, I don't like to talk about those things. Let me say that up front. Um, but I know that there are a lot of people that have gone before me, mm-hmm. and so uh, I'm thankful for where I am. If, yeah. if I could piggyback on that, because I didn't, Acknowledge that either. So I yeah, am the yeah. first general manager of our spine business, which is a big deal. It's a three billion dollar franchise, yeah. and and also being based in Memphis, there's a lot of history here. That yeah. um, uh, my first is a big deal to, to a lot of people. And so yeah. honored to yeah. be able to say that, and for you guys to recognize that yeah. means a lot. And I know all of y'all humble, so I was getting ready to go around the room and like Sarah. Also, like you're like the founder of the collective, um, and it's just interesting. After like being in the nonprofit field in Memphis myself. I know it's very white male space. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. yeah, like these, these people that you're hearing from are quite amazing. Um, so we're going to start with some of the highs, some of the victories. Um, and I think I heard from a bird, y'all start with you, Carlton, that people look at you almost like Obama, some of the... Uh, <laughs> I, I would never say it out loud. Let me make sure that, uh, that's not yes, coming from me. Yes, okay, we can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, that, he that did not a... say that, but... Somebody else may have mentioned that people are treating him like Obama. I'm not gonna take that person was, you know, because he's not here. But um, yeah, so what's that like? Like, what are some victories just with being the first? Yeah. And, yeah. I think victories, and for me, it really does start with my family, mm-hmm. and um, and. I, as I think many of us would say, we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Mm-hmm. And so yes. I take a lot of pride in, in not what I do, what I've done, but how I can represent yep. what they've done before me. That's good. Yeah. And, and so some of the victories have been academic. I touched on some of the really impressive and, and high-profile institutions that I had the fortune to, mm. to somehow sneak into and make it through. <laughs> um, some of the victories have been ac- athletic. You know, I walked on the Stanford's basketball team and 
somehow, some way, stuck around there, became a scholarship player, a team captain, and all academic selection and all that stuff. Um, that's the stuff you see in my curricular vitae. I think uh, the bigger victories are uh, that some of the challenges I, I battled through you know, emotionally, mm-hmm. uh, spiritually, yeah. um, and, and, and more, I'll call it profoundly, even with my wife of 17, now, 17 years now, Shayla, mm-hmm. uh, we got married at, at 21 and 19, and so it's been a pretty big victory of ours um, to be able to say we're 17 years in and <laughs> bounced around the country in multiple roles, now three kids. And um, so I think the victories for me are kind of holistic in that fashion yeah. and, and hopefully still going, right? As, yeah, as the journey in many ways is just getting started and excited to be able to make an impact and then leave a legacy in ways that um, those before me have. That's amazing. When I was 21, oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I, know. I was 18 oh and 21. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have been a good partner. I was a hot mess. So was I. I was a hot mess. Which is why it is one of the victories I need to celebrate because I was a hot mess. No, no, that's amazing. I'm just sorry. I just had to stick that in there. That is amazing. Anybody? I'm going to just give a shout out to Serena, too. You know what I'm saying? I know you're listening. All my kids out there, I got about 17 kids. Go put your points in, brother. Okay, sorry. What are some victories, though? Um, so I will say, you know, to, to go back to what you were saying about the nonprofit space, I started in nonprofit consulting after college. So I was, you know, I was like, you know, social justice, want to create change. Surely, if I go see like what the largest, you know, nonprofits are doing in the U.S., they'll have answers. I'll figure out how to do this, what to put together. Um, so I started nonprofit consulting with, you know, major organizations, you know, 200, 300 million dollar organizations in the U.S. And when I got there, I I realized that you know, in many cases, they didn't know how to how to fix these issues either, and they were coming to us uh, for solutions. And what I also saw was, um, so I think you know, I, I would be the only black consultant on my team. I, um, you know, these organizations were entirely led pr- primarily by white men. The funders were white men, and yet all of the people that these organizations were serving were black people. Mm-hmm. And I would try to like speak from the perspective of people in my community or things that I had seen, and they were like, no, 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 no that's not it. That's not right. Um, and so after doing that for many years, I. I worked for Youth Villages locally for some years. That's how I ended up down here um, and was helping them grow the organization. They do amazing work. But I was like, this work could look really different. Uh, And there needs to be a paradigm shift in the nonprofit space about who's doing the work, who's being invested in, and what that really looks like. And so one of the things that I'm really proud of is starting the organization because it's it's co-founded, led by two black women. We've raised, I think now, almost $7 million to do what we're doing. We've grown substantially. We've gotten a lot of local and national support for the work we're doing. And um, I'm able to create the kind of organization, the kind of culture that I really want to see and really want to have. And I think, you know, and, and able to invest in people's careers, create job opportunities, create um, a lot of opportunities for young adults locally in a way that, and, and do it in a way that I think honors both black people and, and sees the dignity of black people in a, in a different way, in a way that I had not necessarily seen across the space. So I'm super excited about that. I think on the personal note, you know, I echo, you know, again, if I was back at 19, so, you know, my parents split up when I was eight. Um, and with that, I think, came some trauma. So both in terms of the financial turmoil my, my family went through, um, my parents splitting up, 
and as I, you know, was a young adult myself, I very quickly realized I needed to go to counseling. I needed to go to therapy. and really needed to work through some of um, what I had experienced with my dad and those relationships and how that has shown up in my own relationships. And so the other thing, you know, I got married in April. Super, um, you know, just, just not just proud of getting married, but proud of the intentionality behind us trying to have a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Proud of yeah. going to, to therapy to address my own trauma. Proud of trying to um, create a life that that uh, you know isn't shaped by that trauma. And so I would say that's the other thing that um, I'm super proud of, and and in many ways has helped me be a better leader in my organization and a better CEO too. Yeah, yeah that's sure. awesome. How about you, Michael? <clears throat> yeah, what's the question again? Uh, just some victories. That yeah, you've I think the I think the victory. Um, I'm, I'm gonna speak from it. Just follow me. I think the victory is being able to to um, serve people. I think that that yeah. at the at at the core of, of who I am um, and I believe who God has made me to be is is to give myself uh, to to uh, to his people and so being able to encourage other individuals whether that is through pastoring them whether that is having been you know a, a, a mentor or something in their life that's been a major victory because I think for me um, the church was that uh, I seen uh, you know when I became a Christian uh, the church is where I've seen a lot of strong, healthy uh, families, and uh, and 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 that's where a lot of my questions were were answered. I always give credit to what credit is due. There was a woman named um, Vanessa Harsley who was an executive at Monsanto in St. Louis. That's where I was born and raised. And she didn't just do youth ministry with us. She was giving us executive practices when we were teenagers. Wow. Um, and giving us re- responsibilities and roles that we wouldn't necessarily get in other places. And so we knew how to carry ourselves and handle ourselves in the church and outside of the church. And that's filtered into a lot of things that, I, that I've done in life. Uh, and so then even where I am now, just trying to navigate this path, it's, it's you know, on one end, you know, being the first in my role is my, my mindset is already the victory is not that I'm just here, but who's going to replace me? So I'm always thinking about every victory is when I'm able to replace myself um, before I'm even done. So vacating early is a, is a huge victory when I have responsibilities and being able to have impact, right? Uh, being able to use uh, my, my, my uh, place of position to impact others, other leaders and empower other leaders and voices. I'm big on education, but I'm also, I'm big on empowering. Um, there are so many people that uh, just just the victory of telling them who they are before they even recognize who they are. Mm-hmm. Like those are those are things that you know um, you know when you're talking about sports, those are the intangibles. You know, those are the things that you don't necessarily see it being done and worked on. And so that's what that's what, that goes to the to the idea of like I just want to serve um, and be in that position to 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 give leadership. Yeah, that's what's up. So it's interesting that each of you kind of have already talked a little bit about obstacles that are in your way because it's like there's no if there's no struggle there's no victory um so what would you say are some obstacles and like how did you get through it and also you mentioned like a mentor so is there anybody that's like helped you to get through those obstacles I'll go first I think um so many obstacles and then some of those obstacles you know external and, and expected right just the pure, I'll call it resistance, mm-hmm. to someone like me showing up in, in settings that I show up in. 
um, going all the way back to childhood, including um, you know, academically, but also going back to last week as I travel around the country or the world interacting with high-profile institutions. And so that, that's expected, right? And I go into this, came into this knowing that um, partly because my parents raised me to, to know, know what, what does it mean to be a black male um, in, this, in this world, in this country, and to achieve at high levels. And so um, th those obstacles have been there, will be there, um, unfortunately, probably longer than, than we want them to. I think there's also the, I'll call it the, the somewhat less covert, the hidden institutional and kind of systemic obstacles that I, I didn't really understand or appreciate until I, I got into settings like a Stanford or Harvard. And when I showed up, I just realized what, what little I knew. And we talk about the unknown unknowns and how my classmates um, came into this and in some cases understanding what to expect and what to do because it was kind of the world they were in. And so that, I think that's an obstacle that I underappreciated and knocked me off my feet more times than I expected and in bigger ways because I, I thought I, I was prepared for what I was going into. And there's kind of the, the known unknowns, and again, I'll call these the unknown unknowns that have been difficult. And, and then there's the obstacles that have been spiritual and emotional and others that, that have played away. But th those are the ones that I'd highlight that have been, again, led to the victories that we talked about earlier being as meaningful as they are. So. What would you say, like, can you tell us a story of maybe a time when you were like, oh, this is an unknown unknown, but your <laughs> eyes were open yeah. to that. Yeah, I think th there's a lot of ways I could, I could skin that. I mean, going back to high school, I was a good student. And, um, and when I got into Stanford, I was in an AP calculus class. And a classmate who I had growing up um, um, was a neighbor, a friend of mine, a, a white guy who played soccer while I played basketball. You know, he, he pulled me aside, looked me dead in the eye, and said, you, know, you only got in because you were black. Mm -hmm. and, and as a kid, and again, I wasn't completely oblivious, um, but I didn't get it, right? And he was dead serious. It was a big deal to him. There was passion in his eyes because he didn't get in and I did. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that's one example at that stage of life where it was kind of shook my core a little bit and I had to have long conversations with my family and, and even with myself as to what that means and how do I overcome that. Um, I, I think and uh, obstacles and more recently as, as I play this role and try to drive a business and lead people in, in healthcare, um, I, I interact with a, a lot of individuals who have, have been around for a long time and, and, and tend to not look like me. And so when I show up, um, there's many times I show up and, and you see the, the body language, right? <laughs> you see the eyes get wide. I took a, a surgeon out to dinner a couple months ago in, 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 uh, in Alabama. And when I walked in with the staff of team around me who's kind of you know, hosting and, and kind of handling me, um, he, he asked me when we sat down, why are you here? And in my head, I'm, I'm saying because I'm, I'm the one paying the check. <laughs> um, but but what, we, what we can't do is kind of overreact and, and yeah, keep it as real as we want to sometimes. And so those obstacles, um, those are two anecdotes of kind of the top type of obstacles we're, we're facing and will continue to face. Mm -hmm. And um, it requires patience and, and faith. And I call it the, the fruit of the spirit in many ways yeah. to, to show up and, and, and continue to show out. Amen. Yeah. What did you actually say? I'm just curious. <laughs> what did you say? You know, I, I, I've been you know, somewhat groomed and trained to, to respond um, with an answer that includes, you know, well, you know, here's my role. Um, here's uh, the roles I've been in. And, and in some ways, I'll call it you know, defending or justifying, but also yeah. in many ways, 
demonstrating like why I'm in this role right. mm-hmm. and speaking yeah. with specifics into the strategy and, and the business development and the mechanisms that I'm putting in place mm-hmm. as a leader that allow us to better support him, his practice, and more importantly, his community of patients um, when it comes to you know, delivering on um, healthcare and, and some of the, the surgeries, that, the technologies yeah. that we provide. And so um, it ends up being a longer conversation than it, than it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you by the end of that two-hour steak dinner, he walked out with a level of appreciation and respect for me and what I do. And, and hopefully, mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm not assuming this to be the case, but hopefully an appreciation for people like me and like us um, being able to live into those settings and lead. So. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing the assumptions, crazy the assumptions people make. And I think one of the things that I've come to appreciate in this role now is um, having the opportunity to sort of change the 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 way a CEO might look to right. two people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like I have you know some young staff, particularly who are black young staff, young black women who are in their early twenties, and they're like, it's so cool to see a CEO that's like me. And then I'll be on call, so similar to what you're doing. So we were um, hiring, we're hiring a, a vendor for some project management stuff, and they were pitching to us. It was like me on my call. Um, you know, a, a, a white man manager that works for me and some other folks, and they were pitching to, to my manager. And so at the end of the call, they're like, do you guys need to, you know, to me, like, do you need to take this back to, like, who makes the decisions or whatever and bring some <laughs> yeah. things back? And I was like, well, I'm the CEO. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, what? <laughs> because, like, the whole time, they hadn't been talking to me, really, and hadn't really directed anything towards me. And I was like, no, I, I can just make that <laughs> decision right. as to right. if we have the measure for this and want to pursue it. And we ended up not pursuing that particular option. Um, but it really is challenging on a regular basis, like the you know who assumes the assumptions people make about who's going to be in these roles, what it's going to look like, um, and and you know how you show up. And I find some joy in being able to kind of reshape what maybe what that looks like. So I don't have to be a CEO in the same way that maybe the the white men I was under were, and that's kind of cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I think I want to kind of want to think about it from the aspect of issues that uh, that have formed and shaped me. I grew up, um, once again, I didn't grow up as a Christian, so there was a lot of militant African-Americans around me. Um, and uh, I was really impressed by brothers from Nation of Islam, et cetera. <clears throat> so there was an image there. Uh, and uh, one of the things that always and still does shape me is how I walk into a room and what I walk in, in this space. Uh, and so the issues a lot of times are um, I already know what's assumed and uh, I already know the, the level of pressures to, to conform. And so um, when any space that I walk into, like I was just, uh, I was out of town by myself walking into some spaces this past week in West Palm, Florida. And uh, I know that, you know, when I, the way that I carry myself and when I'm in a meeting and when I'm talking to individuals that, um, the, the issues that are, that are going through my mind are all of the barriers that, um, that, I, that I know that I'm having to knock down before we even engage into a sophisticated conversation. <clears throat> and so that, that comes from me growing up where I grew up and the experiences that I had. I mean, I was a part of a desegregation program when I was in St. Louis. And so, you know, uh, I was immediately put in remedial classes. I was immediately... You know, pushed aside, and so those are things that when I walk into a room, I know that like 
I'm walking in this room and I've dealt with so many different obstacles that what, what's presented before me, I know that the Lord can help me because I was a kid and, I, and God probably was with me then before I even knew him. But when kids were calling me the, the N-word or when I was being mistreated and, and my mother thought that I was the, the issue, you know, and uh, and it took some, you know, it took my pops to say, yeah, this is not who, who he is. Um, those are things that, that shape me now as I um, engage with different individuals um, in, in, you know, in predominantly white spaces, uh, just, just, just to know that uh, what, they, what they see is not who I am. Uh, and that's, you know, those are the issues that I feel. And so there are a lot of mental, I mean, I mean, like the, the physical stuff that bother me is just like the mental, the mental things. So. And so this is when I go off book, just so y'all know. So I, I told you guys, you know, I gave the disclaimer. We have like three questions <laughs> and then you guys start saying stuff and I have other questions. So um, there's this like saying, I feel like in our community that I'm learning is not just a Midwestern thing, but it's like black people where it says you have to be twice as good to get half of what they got. Meaning you have to be twice as good as a black person to get half of what the majority culture white people have. Um, how do you feel about that? Uh, do you feel pressure from that? Do you get tired of that? Like what? Because each of you have kind of shared in your <laughs> stories how you've been viewed automatically um, <laughs> as really inferior almost. Like you can't be the CEO, right? Um, who are you? Why are you here? Just all of that, like immediately in remedial classes. Um, yeah. So what do you what do you think about that? You have to be twice as good to get half of what. I'll say I, I think I was more exhausted by that when I was in predominantly white environments. So when I was a consultant, I mentioned it was in Boston, um, I think I was in an office of 100 and I was the only black consultant. There might have been one other black person at the time. Um, and that was exhausting. So I remember when I got a uh, performance review because I was assertive and in, in the review my boss said that I was too aggressive and how I disagreed and my new this is consulting where everyone's like trying to make the case or <laughs> sure, different points and use data like this is like what <laughs> you do right uh, but the way that I had done it you know it was in writing that I was aggressive and I was like so why is this aggressive and he, he couldn't give me a response right and so when I was in environments like that or when I went on to work for a national nonprofit and I was working with their chief executive team and it was all white men who were in their 60s, that was exhausting. So, and I felt like that saying very much applied. I will say there's some power and some opportunity in creating your own. Yeah, so right. part of why I branched out and created my own organization is because there are a lot of things I get to shape and there are a lot of things that I don't have the same level of mental fatigue about because, mm -hmm. you know, to be, to be frank, my organization is it's a predominantly black organization. My board is reflective of the people we serve. The organization's reflective, um, you know, demographically in terms of gender, we're balanced. Like there are a lot of things I get to shape now that reduce my day-to-day -day fatigue. Mm -hmm. Now I will also add, we are still under, from a fundraising perspective, when you look at nonprofits uh, and who's raising the most money and large amounts of money, it's white men, primarily white men who are baby boomers. And so we are still under that when I go externally and I'm trying to raise money or trying to do other things. But um, you know, some of just the the constant having to be aware and self-aware and like how am I presenting myself and how will this be received and, and thinking about all those things I think that, that that creates a lot of fatigue for black people and it's mm -hmm. exhausting over time and so I am thankful in starting my own organization and that's why I think it's amazing to start our own businesses start organizations start our own that there's that I don't I still, you know, obviously clearly work with white people, and it's, it's, yeah. but it's a different dynamic now because I'm not like the only, and I don't have to kind of respond to those things. So 
I would say that's kind of how I how I view it now. Yeah, I think the word exhausting comes to mind as well. So I agree with that. I, the saying is true, and it's one that was ingrained in me at, at a young age. And I think, um, in some ways, I embraced the pressure to perform, having been, you know, a walk-on athlete, having been a, being a younger brother. Right, I'm the baby of three, and will always be the baby. They remind me I'll be the youngest. Uh, um, and now being a husband and a father, and though that that pressure to perform is something that I embrace. I think there's other pressures. Um, in terms of how we show up, that was described, right? We, we want to be authentic. Yeah. Um, we also don't want to you know, uh, elicit triggers that reinforce some of the prejudices against us, right? Yeah. And so my experience coming into corporate was almost the opposite. Um, where, and whereas I came in and tried my best to hold back and not be too assertive, too aggressive, and, um, and, and at times get passed up for certain opportunity because I wasn't asking for it. But what I was trying to do was make sure I didn't you know, err on the other side right. of being the, right. the angry you know, black man. And okay. so I um, had to, to learn that in some ways the hard way, right? And how much do I show myself? How much do I speak up? And what I've learned, especially at this stage and in, in, in age, that if I don't speak up, who will, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I'd rather you know, they, they you know, see me for who I am. And, and by not speaking up, I'm training them mm -hmm. to be able to continue to make assumptions and not have to realize and, and, and live with the real me. And, and as a pastor said in the past, you know, if, they, if they miss saw Jesus, you know, they'll, they'll likely miss seeing me in <laughs> yeah, certain yeah, yeah, circumstances as well. And, and that's okay. I can live through it, but hopefully you know, lead where they, they, there's an impression that's left that's better, not about me, but about us, right? Yeah. And so that, that's really important to me. And so these pressures are going to be there. And they're not going away, but I think there's a way to embrace them and lead through them. Yeah, that's um, one of the things that's that's interesting. I, I kind of forgot your question again, but don't worry about it. I, I, I think I'm answering. <laughs> but uh, um, to Life your point, good to get half of what they got. Yeah, uh, to your to your point, you work with me, so you yeah. know that 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 idea of creating your own, but also empowering is how I lead. And so when I walk into a space or I, or I know I have influence, I'm always going to empower the people around me, um, especially the people that look like me. And so, uh, you know, let me give you a good example uh, that th this was before I knew what I was what, what I was doing what I, in any space. Artez Henderson. I'll never forget. He just got ordained. And when I when I first got ordained, um, I think it was, maybe I was the first um, African-American at, at Second Press to get ordained. I got ordained in Vicksburg, Mississippi. That's the, the battlegrounds for the Confederacy. I mean, I stood before you seen the ordination process, but I never forget when Artez said, man, I, when you see you stand up there, that that's, it did something. It's, he, he, commit, he communicated that it did something for him. Yeah. And so to fast forward almost, um, yeah, 10, 19 years later, he's in that position. Yeah. And I'm coaching him and empowering him to be a leader, to be a pastor, um, and uh, and I, and I'm 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 I just said under his preaching this morning. Uh, that's that's the stuff that I'm <laughs> I'm like I, like I, we're developing that we're creating that here in this space, and uh, I never can try to control what I I never try to control things in an institutional way. I'm more of a a localized and not globalized. Mentality in terms of my approach to strategy, um, and therefore, locally, this is what I can affect. But then I know he's going to affect others, and so all it does is it trickle downs and it begins to spread. And that's what I believe when I walk into a space and there is another black or brown person. Uh, I mean, I, my, I've gotten to know so many of my Asian brothers and sisters over the last couple of years. Like the 
there's one thing to be a black man, but there's another thing to be a black man, and people see something in you that you don't see in yourself. Right. And, and actually want you to lead and you're not looking to be that leader. You're not looking, you're not vying for the position. You're not trying to put your, your name in the hat. And I've experienced that over the last three years at least from my, my Latinx and my Asian brothers and sisters and my African-American brothers and sisters that it was, we want, we want you to, to lead in these spaces. We want you to be able to um, speak on our behalf in these, in these particular spaces and hearing. So that requires a lot because I'm entrusted with, with a lot. And, um, and, and I, but I, at the same time, you know, I'm not doing this with my own wisdom. I'm not doing this with my own ingenuity. Uh, it's being by God's grace. I mean, <laughs> you, know, you know, if you listen to this, you know, some people just know me as Mike Davis, Mike D, or, or just little Mike. And so to be where I am now to where other people feel um, a sincerity and authenticity in terms of my leadership, it means something, um, and it helps with that. I think that point about representation, and we talk about that often, but the models, because many people, to your point, growing up from the beginning, parents and Sunday school teachers right. saying, hey, that boy is going to be special. Right. Yeah. I remember I had a Sunday school teacher that told my mother in fourth grade, you got to get that boy speech lessons because I had a really bad speech impediment. And she was like, he's going to be speaking in front of crowds, yeah. rooms of people. Right. Right. And so there was never a, a, lo a loss or lack of kind of encouragement, inspiration from my community, but there wasn't always a model for what that needs mm -hmm. to be and look right. like. And I, and I came into Medtronic um, almost 11 years ago because when I was doing my research out of business school and looking for healthcare companies, I went to their website and, and there was a black man on the executive committee. Wow. It's the only reason that I convinced my wife to go to Minneapolis of all places, <laughs> having been from the West Coast and she's from has family in Hawaii, so that, that cold weather is not attractive. But I said, hey, there's, there's a guy mm. on their executive committee named James Dallas who looks like he could be my uncle, yeah. you know, at, at the barbecue. Yeah. And so that means that uh, for some reason, some odd reason, I think I can see myself mm -hmm. there at that table. That's right. That's right. And, and that is so powerful. And, uh, and we now around this table are, are representing that as yeah, well. That's right? right. And so there's, there's power in that that um, I'm excited to continue to take forward. And I think, like, you know, having been an athlete, there's one thing to be competitive, right? But then there's another thing that where you know that um, you know you got to show up, you know, and that's one of the things that, that uh, that that does like I, I get I get life out of the fact that like I'm building new strategies I'm building new things I'm 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 moving in these directions and um and it's you know it's it, it, it's it's not that there's that that juice fires me up and I know that um that it means something you know what I'm right. saying yeah. man this is so good so I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't ask two more questions and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get you out here I'm sorry okay so the first question is just like each of you I can see you kind of have people that are watching you like you have younger women you know you already talked about mentorship I'm sure you have a lot of people <laughs> watching you uh, where you are um, so I guess one is like what is your hope for the future of like black people in your spaces that you that you are in um, but then too like I think just as another like black professional, I think for everybody, every like black professional listening, what would be like a piece of advice that you would give them um, with handling the pressures and, you know, having the obstacles and everything like that? So those two questions. So one, what's your hope for the future? And like, what would your, your advice be for the future? Of, yeah. I'll say one of the things that inspires me the most these days. So, and I know 
this might sound older, but I'm a millennial and a lot of my team are Gen Z and I noticed some distinct differences between how I am and how they are. Um, and, you know, there are things that I appreciate more than others. One of the things I appreciate the most, though, um, is I think their generation really pushes against what is and sort of challenges the status quo in a different way. And so whereas I, when I was coming up, was similar to what you were saying in terms of trying to figure out the rules, it fit in the rules, they're like, well, why do these rules exist? Like, why is this the way it is? It's like, it doesn't have to be this way. I had uh, one of my super junior staff be like, well, why Why are you the manager? Like, why do you run things? Like, why is this? Why do you get paid more? Like, all of these things, right? And at the time, I was like, I mean, <laughs> you know, really? Is that what you're asking me? Um, but I think that there's some power to not just assuming this is what it is. Right. And this is how it has to be. Uh, and so I am inspired by um, them pushing against against these yep. things. Because I will say in the work that I do, while I, I am thankful and I feel blessed to be able to do it and that we get to help create opportunities for individual young adults and build pathways, we're also dealing with real systemic realities right. in terms of the education mm-hmm. system, right. in terms of the employment system, what we pay people in our city mm-hmm. that create the conditions that we see. And yeah. so if we aren't pushing against the, we'll say, the rules and the structures and the systems, it's going to be really hard to envision and see a different world. And so I would say that inspires me because I think that through their leadership and some of the things they may do, there will be more of that change. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that's that's the most exciting. And then advice, you know, <laughs> say one of the biggest pieces of advice I give to people who are early in their career is to, I was just talking to one of our young adults who's having amazing success and was going through some, some challenges and she wanted to jump ship and leave her job. Mm-hmm. I think there are great reasons to leave your job, but one of the pieces of advice I, I do give is to try to figure out how to navigate barriers, figure out how yeah. to navigate challenges, figure out how to persist through different things and, and figure out when it's appropriate to persist and when it's appropriate to leave. Yep. Um, I think that there is, you know, when you're earlier in your career, you're building your track record, you're building your um, your your integrity, you're building just this this sort of demonstration of who you are as a person in, in the employment and in the career space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you have to be really intentional about that. And there and then with that is gonna come some, some challenges. It's not just gonna be like, oh, I'm at this job and I love it and I'm getting so much from it. It's so amazing. (laughs) Even through sometimes hardships and through challenges, you can grow and you can evolve and you can learn. And so to really think through, you know, what does that look like and to invest both in yourself, um, but invest in taking the most of of opportunities, uh, however they may come. That's so good. Uh, I think my hope is somewhat generic, but more real by the day that for, for our kids, you know, these conversations are are harder to find or harder to have when you're identifying first black X yeah. um, because mm-hmm. the, we've already crossed that barrier, right? And, yeah. and because there's, um, at, in all, across all industries, at all levels, we are, are represented um, more then than, than we are now. And, and, and I am, I am um, optimistic. I, I struggle to say hopeful because hope comes with this sense of anticipation. And, and there's been a lot of much smarter men and women before me who have um, uh, done a lot of great work, yet yeah. we still face the challenges we, we face today. Um, and that's where an area where my faith gets tested, right? Where I have to just truly live into mm-hmm. Hebrews 11.1, 1, where yeah. faith is being sure of what you hope for and, and certain mm-hmm. of what you do not see, um, because it's hard to keep going when you don't see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I am, I am um, optimistic and hopeful that that black culture um, and, and black history can be more 
I'll call it in, intimately ingrained in the fabric and culture of, of us as a society yeah. at, at the highest levels. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and not yes. just within certain pockets Amen. of what we call culture. How we do things um, is, is kind of somewhat ubiquitous. And so that, I'm hopeful there. I think my, my words of advice also kind of echoing Sarah is it's about resilience. Mm-hmm. And, and I truly think that is the, the one gift. I mean, you, you want to be smart and work hard, um, but you really get tested um, when you, you really want you want to give up, right? And yeah. someone told me recently, courage is you know, moving forward while trembling. And so you, it's not about not having fear, but is continuing to keep going through that. That's good. Um, especially in today's environment where it is somewhat of a great resignation and, and, and a lot of opportunities to, to leave companies and that some more flexibility. Um, I, I think it's going to test our mettle um, to, to be more resilient um, moving forward. And again, we come from I'll call the people that have, uh, are the definition of resilience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so um, that's where I, I think we should take this as not just a challenge, but an obligation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, I echo, I echo a lot of what um, my brother and sister said. Um, I think uh, what the Lord has blessed me with is one day, uh, I, I, I've always shared this, and uh, I shared it with, I was preaching in St. Louis at my, um, at my home church, and my pastor, he as as an attorney and a pastor, successful attorney. He had his own law firm um, and he's pastored uh, and he's modeled a lot to me. Uh, But I remember uh, praying when I was about 17 years old, uh, when Solomon prayed for three things. It was wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Um, What gives me hope or what I think should be able to happen in the future um, is that wisdom on how to navigate certain situations, um, whether you're in the business sector, whether you're in college, um, where you're applying to school, how you uh, continue to navigate uh, moving upward in a company or making starting your own business, wisdom, um, because everything is not motivated by pure money and success. Uh, and so... Uh, that direction is is hopeful because then it helps you to live with a level of contentment. Um, I think that being able to be content with the things that you do have and understanding and to put that in perspective helps with that level of wisdom. So then when you come to decision making at certain tables, when you know you're the youngest and uh, you, you, you know, you're coming and you're bringing new, innovative, fresh ideas, um, your wisdom is not belittled because of your age. You know, it's heard because of what it what it what it actually produces then understanding um understanding where you are accepting the fact that you don't have to have all of the answers at the age at the age of 19 that you don't have to be uh, the ceo you don't have to be in the c-suite at the age of 25 uh you don't have to think there is no guideline to say this is where you need to be at this age and so understanding that then allows you to live with a whole lot more freedom and a whole lot more hopefulness that you, you know, that you can do what you can do, whether that's at UPS, FedEx, um, and you're working in a warehouse, whether that's uh, you working as a mid-level manager, or whatever it is that your understanding uh, of where you are and who you are, self-awareness helps you to navigate where are you going in the future, and then knowledge. I think growing. Uh, I'm always looking to grow in my studies. I'm in school right now, <laughs> trying to pursue doctoral work, uh, not just for myself, because the insatiable desire to continue to grow should never end to be satisfied, because that contentment is not just materialistic, 
materialistically, you know, you don't, there's a other flip side of it. You don't want to just be content in what, what you just bring to the table for the moment. You want to continue to grow and pursue growth in your knowledge uh, in, in what you in whatever field or department you're in, whatever you want to pursue. If you if you want to be the greatest, you know, at something you need to read, you need to learn. Um, and Carlton said something that I, I didn't pay attention to that I do all the time. Uh, I've done all the time. I would look at companies and and just look at what jobs are there. I, I would just, I, you know, I would just look, and I would look at the, I would look, I would just visit websites of companies, and just look at the leadership, yep. and learn about where they are, and, and there was there was nothing that um, I would just try to say, no, you can't do that. Um, I would just, I would, I would accept to be told no, and one of the testimonies is I'll never forget. Uh, I went to school for finance, and so I had an interview. Uh, I was working in banking, and a buddy of mine put me on an interview with his firm. So I get an interview, I get there, and, and I'm talking. I don't have, I don't have any friends or family that will give me an account to play with that has about five million dollars. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't have any of those things. But I didn't go into that interview thinking that. I didn't go into that interview defeated. I went in there thinking that I got a chance, I got an opportunity to do this, and um, and I went in because I I, I try to I try to be knowledgeable. Um, and so that, that was, those are the three things that I... That I Adrian, if I can add one thing that you touched on, and, and you mentioned earlier, Sarah, um, it's a, the concept that we often don't live into is asking for help, right? And being willing to ask yeah. for help. And you referenced earlier just therapy and counseling, and I, yeah. I want to praise you for that because yeah. one of the best decisions I've made in my life was yeah. agree with my wife to go to marriage counseling at a point, a difficult point in our yeah. marriage, right? And, yeah. But that applies in other ways. And even professionally, I wouldn't be where I am without coaches yeah. and sponsors right. and mentors and a part of what I, I see as an obligation for me is to play that same role, right? And so I think asking for help is also a critical part of this yeah. journey that both of you touched on as well. So good, so good. Well, y'all, thank you so much for coming after church um, to have this conversation with us. And I know, like, so many people will be blessed, you know, by this conversation. So thank you so much. All right, y'all, we'll be next week. We'll be talking about Women's History Month, and you'll get to hear from some, some women in our church. So I hope you yeah. come back. Take one. Take one. We out. <laughs>